Welcome to The Winner's Edit, a Survivor storyline and editing podcast. I'm your host, Joe. And I'm Dan Kilby. What's up? And we're here. We did it. We correctly predicted the winner of uh, Season 38, Survivor Edge of Extinction. Rick Devins won, just as we all unfortunately sort of predicted, but... See, I thought you were going to take this opportunity to brag about our preseason podcast, where we both were fighting over Chris... Who is going to be the one to be able to take credit as Chris is the winner? Uh, and then immediately we're embarrassed by it from the first episode on. But you know what? <laughs> Little did we know. We'll take the wins where we can get them. So yeah, we're here after the finale. I see the million dollars. What a generic finale title. Could be yeah. any season of Survivor. But Chris Underwood is now the second Chris to have won Survivor. And... Yeah the internet blew up so yeah this was a controversial episode to say the least um (laughs) i personally was despising it every minute and i think that's kind of a big reason why i kind of wanted to wait a little bit to record because i wanted to kind of like let things settle down you know i mean uh if you look at my twitter i was in a foul mood like i was like are you (laughs) kidding me like this is to me this episode uh and this is this was kind of brought up by stephen fishback in his people blog was like a battle of the soul of the series of Survivor. And I'm currently of the opinion that the soul that I want it to have kind of died a little bit on May 15th uh, when Chris Underwood won this game. But, I mean, you know what? Uh, like, I don't know. It, it, to me, this was this was a disaster of a season with a disaster of a finale. But that's still not... It's still fun to talk about. It's still Survivor. Mm-hmm. And I think... I don't know where I was going to pop this in, but... When people are talking about Survivor and especially how it's edited, they sort of go in predicting a season-long story. And I think this is the first time where it felt more like an, like some other competitive reality television show where it didn't make sense necessarily throughout the whole season. So people were like, what is this show? Like, it's not the show I'm used to and... I think people who exclusively watch Survivor for competitive reality TV got a little bit of a shock because not all stories make sense start to finish. So yeah, like not all stories have well, I, all stories do have a beginning, middle, end, but they don't have to necessarily follow the same path. That said, mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. I do think that a lot of other competitive shows do kind of miss the mark. I do think a lot of other competitive shows aren't as good as Survivor. I think the thing that's, at least to me anyway, has always kind of put Survivor above every other show, every other reality show, has been its commitment to telling sophisticated, complex, and interesting stories. And I do think that this season overall was a complete failure on most fronts that way. Like, that said, it's still Survivor, so there are still some nuanced things. Like, I think the themes that we uh, outlined for the most part were pretty good. We'll get to that more later on as we kind of talk through where we went wrong, how we did, how we actually feel about the episode, how we feel about the individual edits, all that kind of stuff we're going to talk about. But I do think as a general feeling, I think this season failed. I think this season had kind of a, a crisis within itself. Of it wasn't sure what to do because Survivor's a social strategy game and 37 days of it or whatever did not matter at all to the end result. Like the entire merge basically, Basically from episode three or whatever, episode three or four, all the way to the finale, none of that strategy mattered at all to the end game. 
I think that's something that they were really wrestling with on the, internally. And I think you can see it in the, the way that they chose to edit these people uh, that were still in the game with the way that they chose to like foreshadow things the way like like you see it all over its fingerprints are all over the place where you can tell that they were kind of struggling here do you agree yeah i think so because i think the finale does the best job it can of making chris seem like a good winner like they really put a lot of power into the way he plays those last few rounds and when chris gives up his immunity to take on rick and fire you feel like oh that's a huge huge moment and when he defeats him, it's another big, just like, okay, this is it. Like, this is big. So, yeah, that was all in the finale, though. There was a ton of episodes that literally had so little bearing on the course of the season. It was just an interesting turn for Survivor, where much of it is every episode matters in some way, whether that's whittling one tribe down by one or adding someone to the jury. but. Those things were twisted this season, so yeah, and I think that's something that's really interesting is that for the like for probably the first time, like maybe Natalie White's an exception, but like our winner was not in like maybe a majority of the episodes, like maybe maybe not a majority, but like was basically UTR like under the radar for at least a solid majority of the season. I think that's something that's really interesting and like. For a long time, we've always been kind of speculating, like, when is the next, like, Natalie White-style winner going to show up? And how bizarre is it that the closest thing to that is a big, like, six-foot-five buff alpha male jungle boy archetype character? I never thought that would happen, um, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because with when Redemption Island was happening, we are expecting people with big edits on Redemption Island to maybe win in the end, but the season never really focused on Chris. Well, it did at times, but it wasn't always focusing on Chris on Edge of Extinction. Like you yeah. might we might have expected. It definitely gave him like invisible episodes and really light content episodes. So Yeah, and I think like an interesting thing is like I feel like if you compare this to like Matt Elrod even, right, in uh Redemption Island I feel like Matt Elrod gets a more glowing and positive, like, Redemption Island story uh, than Chris did. Like, even more consistent, right? Like, I think that's something that's actually kind of interesting about this whole thing. But I'm sure we'll talk a lot about uh, how, like, our thoughts on this Chris thing. Uh, mm -hmm. So let's go through this episode kind of, like, beat by beat a little bit. So, obviously, we start immediately with the Edge of Extinction challenge. And I don't know about you, but the... the the only thought in my in my head during this challenge was, why is it this challenge? Why is it not hand on an idol? If the whole like if the thesis statement of Edge of Extinction is how much do you want it? Why is the challenge to come back like generic obstacle course like carnival game thing? I thought mm -hmm. that was a giant failure, like irredeemably terrible decision there. I think they're just they don't want truly long endurance challenges anymore and they just sacrifice that for this which is gonna take maybe an hour so yeah i guess i just a disappointment could they not even do the like that one that like from last season like the christian alec one like mm -hmm. something that's actually like somehow pays off the motif of how much do you want it like if your entire purpose of edge of extinction is that idea 
I, I don't even know how this challenge even comes up in discussion. Like, it should be an endurance challenge on the basic nature. Like, it should be a relatively simple to do endurance challenge. I guess, I don't know, they just. I, honestly, I guess one of, this is, I guess, one of my uh, takeaways from this episode and from this season is so preseason, we were all like very high on. I think the internet at large was like, are you kidding me? This was very clearly intended to be a Joe win. And this challenge choice here, to me, honestly, reaffirms that even more. Because this is a, like, the two people who were, do- the three people who were doing very well in this challenge were Chris, Eric, and uh, Joe. Like, those were the top three. Um, they-, they share a lot of similarities, those three. And I don't I guess this is my take that I'll have for the strategic like the non-edit style of this episode, I think that Chris cashed Joe's check. I think that Chris basically took the path that they expected Joe to take in this season, and up to and including Joe just messing up the challenge, and then Chris winning instead. So much of it makes sense under that lens that I honestly can't not see it that way. Yeah, it's it's totally like if Joe had won there instead of Chris, he could have followed the same exact trajectory to the end. Maybe winning winning more challenges like the I mean, final five and yeah but like i think the interesting thing here is like so i guess what do you have any thoughts on the challenge before we move on uh as it, it was it felt pretty generic like weird to see aubrey get stuck after her practice scene um aurora was doing well for a moment there and i was like this would kind of be the most boring outcome yeah. if she just went back in but yeah, otherwise. I was rooting for David just out of like one. I think he's the most interesting one there. But in addition, I, I, I was really thinking about the prophecy in this moment that we've been kind of forecasting, which mm-hmm. I mean ended up paying off, but just in a different way completely. Um, but yeah, like this challenge was fine. Um, I mean, I think it was sorry, very bad. Like this challenge was very, very bad. Opposite <laughs> of fine. Uh, I think it was uh, really like boneheaded production here. I think. Or very calculated production, and I really hope it's the. Fo- I hope I I hope I could just grant them stupidity or like not thinking about their theme enough. But I really do think that this was Joe's gonna win this challenge, and then I think a lot of these production decisions along the way really make sense. I don't. I personally am not of the opinion that survivors like changing things on the fly. Um, but I do believe that they do carefully consider how twists will affect certain kind of players, and I do think that this. What we see next, where so Chris wins, he enters the game, and one thing that we learn is immediately. Well, we don't learn immediately. We actually get kind of an interesting flashback later on. Chris is just given another idol, just put into the game. Mm-hmm. What did you make of this when you saw this happen? It was. It's just. It's the end. It feels like there's so many idols already, and then to get another one in there, it's just. And I had a little bit of hope that it was like the weird halves idol where you have to give the half away and then get it back. But that just seems like it'll build trust more than anything in this late stage of the game. So not great. Plus, you can argue he got voted out. Why are you giving people who got voted out powers? Yada, yada, yada. Yeah, not the greatest. Yeah, to me, this is just so obviously like watching it. It's so clear to me that this was thought of under the guise of, oh, when Joe or Joe-like person comes back, like, Ozzy lost the last challenge in South Pacific, so how do we make sure that it's foolproof that this person basically comes back? I really, unfortunately, do think that's what this thought process was. 
and I at least I'm glad that it wasn't Joe. Like I think that's uh, thank God that it was not Joe because that would have been horrible if this premiere if, if this finale plays out the same way, but it's Joe instead of Chris. Horrible. But I do think that what we saw here was straight up highway robbery of Victoria's game. I think all season we've been like, okay, why are they showing her? Like why? Like she must get rocked out. She must get idled out. Something like she must lose in the end. There must be some reason why this girl who's clearly so talented, they're giving some credit to, but like never giving content to in the same way. Like they're getting her like one confessional to show she's the one doing it, but that's it. Chris just comes in and is like, oh yeah, uh, Victoria is the biggest jury threat. And the entire cast is like, wait, what? We had no idea. Uh, so we were just marching to the end with Victoria, who's going to beat us. LOL, let's just vote her out. Like, I don't, I, I think Victoria might be a top five most screwed of, of all time by a twist. Like, maybe number one. Like, this is really horrible. Like, this girl was not getting voted out in any world without the jury member coming in and being like, yeah, she beats anybody. Uh, poor Victoria. Yeah, I think on the surface, Victoria's playing really well and just the combination of everything going on here really messed her up. But I read something that was saying Victoria probably wouldn't have made it past another vote if like things stayed the same and like this returnee twist didn't happen. Like she would have been gone at the four I, or the five, I think. But why? I don't know. I didn't I don't remember the specifics of it, I mean, but like- I think you take away, say, take away Edge of Extinction. If I mean, I think you could look at it two ways. You take away Edge of Extinction, or they're isolated or whatever. So now, that, now she's at the final five, and her, Lauren, Gavin, you'd assume would just vote Rick. Rick seems like he would have idled Gavin out, right? Like, I guess he still finds the idol. Oh no, wait. So Rick wins. Rick wins the final six, right? No, he idles the final Julie six. Julie wins. Julie wins. Julie wins. So, like, I so guess what. You, Julie wins that immunity. Rick has idol. Rick has idol. Lauren has idol. It's Gavin or Victoria. Oh yeah, I I guess that's I guess that's slightly better. But I then I I guess you take a you just add the returnee and doesn't have idol and doesn't have information. I think even then, which that's I assume what she's playing to. I think then you have a either returnee boot like Chris boot or. Not still not Victoria, probably a Lauren or whatever. Um, hmm. I don't know. I just felt like you could tell that they were shocked that she was a jury threat. Like it seemed like they really thought that yeah. she was doing nothing, and so her threat level just gets artificially inflated to its mm-hmm. actual value because she's been doing such a good job downplaying it. Like uh, that's really really bad. And I've read a lot of jury stuff after the season. Apparently, she would have been Rick. Like would have, or at least been in the same tier as Rick Devins. Like in terms of jury threat. Like that's. Mm-hmm. Hats off to Victoria, you played incredible. Um, I feel so bad for her, and especially with this edit, because it's so clear that they just knew that she got robbed, and we're like, oh, uh, we don't want, (laughs) we don't want mass backlash to her terrible twist. Yeah, I think whatever the case, how Victoria would have done in alternate scenarios, she was definitely playing well, and just the way this season specifically panned out really did not give her a fair shake. So, yep. I hope we see her again. She's probably probably honestly the only person from this cast that I want to see again. That said, Victoria leaves, and theoretically we're down to just one idol in the game. Uh, but instead, <laughs> Modern Survivor, of course, decides, you know what? Let's just hide another one at the final five. Why do they do this? I don't think I've ever met a single person 
in the entire world. Like I know a lot. Of, like a lot of my friends are like casual fans. Like they like the idol play. They like Rick Devins. Like I know a lot of people who like think Rick Devins is like one of their favorites of all time. And every single one I talked to rolled their eyes and was like, "Survivors like really annoyed me." When Rick Devins finds one at the final five, same thing happened with Adam in Millennials for Gen X. No one likes this. No one likes finding. No one likes people finding the idol at the final five, and they ha- can only play it at that time. Like it's boring. There's no vote where they they can't get voted out. Everyone hates it. Like why is this happening? But regardless, so Rick finds an idol. It was the other half to Chris. So now there's two idols in the final five. When there's just two played last round. And like, <laughs> I, like what is like? There's not even any social politicking to happen. Like it's so sad. Yeah. Plus you have. Julie and Lauren finding fake idols. It's just, there's a lot of like idol related stuff, which is not what I want at Final Five. Like, I want it to really be like a social sort of tug of war of like knowing what to say, what not to say, and like finding the right spot to make it one more round farther because you're so close. But yeah, said it was, oh, three of these people are safe. And yeah, did like, not I like. actually. I have a lot of respect personally for like the Jeremy Collins or the Tony or whatever, who's able to bring a previous idol to the last time you can play. Mm -hmm. Like there's something admirable about that. There's some skill involved, but like, I guess we're bailed out on the fact that Rick Devins won immunity anyway, but like if he had it, like this would have been the worst way ever to have him in the final four. If it it's flipped, he loses the challenge, and then he just finds an idol and just stays anyway. Like that would have been really bad. Thank thank the survivor gods that he won immunity anyway. But I don't know. I despise this idol in the final five. It's horrible. I think all the problems with modern survivor get fixed if you just take away the fire challenge. You stop hiding idols after the final seven. I think you can have the same amount of idols. You can rehide them. You can whatever. I don't think the mount is the problem. I think it's the amount that. The, the length they rehide them, I think, is the problem. No one wants idols in the final five. They're, there's not enough options. It's boring. No one wants to see people get Serena out, or even Lauren out. Like, it's not fun. Um, yeah. I don't know. That's my take. Yeah, and then there's the hypocrisy of that's been mentioned all over the internet of Rick hiding these idols, these fake idols for Julie and Lauren, and it's so funny, but when Ron gave a fake one to Rick, it was the meanest thing Ron could ever do. Embarrass me for my kids. It's just ugh. when, like, especially like Rod's actually his game purpose, right? Like, yeah, it's like okay, I don't want this guy to look for them. I guess you could argue that Rick had the same way, um, where like, but at that point when he's laughing, he already had one, mm-hmm. like he already had found it. So like when he's laughing, like he's just being a dick. Like that's all he's doing. Um, I saw a lot of people in my DMs and stuff kind of say that kind of stuff. Like, well. It's different between Angelina and Rick because, like, uh, um, you know, Angelina's was just to be mean. And I just, I, I really do think that it's the edit. Like, that's why people will react to it differently. But mm. I would say that the edit is very clearly skewed to, it's really funny when, like, this, like the dude does it. But, like, the, the smiley dude. But not so, it's horrible when the girl does it. Like, I, I do think that society has a big clash with, like performative aggressive female play versus the same thing with a guy i I don't think there is a functional difference between angelina playing it like hiding it for allison and this situation here i really don't think there is a difference at all um yeah but so rick wins this challenge which is 
a good challenge, I guess. Very good challenge, yeah. Um, like this one would have been a better Edge of Extinction one, honestly. Like I don't. What was the final <laughs> six challenge? It was. It was the obstacles and then the puzzle, which Julie won. Oh yeah, that was that was boring. This one was good, and then the final four I thought was good too. Um, yeah. But yeah, this challenge, whatever, it was fine. Uh, th- th- sorry, this one was very very good. This challenge was very very good. Um, and Rick wins it, and then he he actually has like kind of an interesting arc here where he's like, okay. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna save Gavin, and then if Gavin wins, he's gonna bring me. I think that that was. I think that was smart, right? Like, I think that was a smart thing to do. Use any leverage you can. Yeah, but it's also like don't expect favors in the future of Survivor. And Gavin echoes this. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to follow through on that. That would be stupid. But <laughs> yeah, but you might as well try, right? Like, yeah, I don't know. My take is like, what's the harm if he oh, just yeah. holds on? If he just holds on, maybe it's even a jury vote. Like, whatever. And if it even raises, like, Gavin bringing you from, like, 0% to 0.01%, that's mm-hmm. still worth it, honestly. Like, And you have that idol, you can't use it. Like, yeah. if you're just expecting uh, someone to win a challenge, it's more likely to be Gavin than Julie. Like, I think it makes sense, but it's it's silly. Like, It's a creative play, at the very least, right? Like, it's better than sitting on it. It's better than a lot of stuff. Um, I don't know. It's fine. But I thought this, I guess this micro part of an episode was terrible. Like, it was just really, really bad. Where just like, it's just all idle talk. Like, the vote might as well not even happen, basically. Yeah. Um, so it was just sad. I, I do, like, poor Lauren getting tricked by, like, the worst pitch ever. Like, I don't know. I guess that's the interesting thing that we didn't touch on like lauren not playing the idol has to be one of the worst plays of all time right like lauren sorry, playing play, it playing chris. it on chris yeah yeah like not saving it sorry mm-hmm. well there's another one of those things where it's like edge of extinction kelly told everyone that lauren had it chris therefore knew like lauren know that he knew and it sort it of does kind of force your her. hand eh because like yeah it's sort of like okay, if I don't, if you don't play it on me, then I'm gonna tell everybody to vote you and flush it, or you play it on me and like you're fine. I think the problem is the obvious play here is tell him you're gonna use it on him and then don't use it on him. Yeah, like, I get yeah. where I I do feel bad for her because I get why she would get tricked like hard like tricked by that because it is a lot of information coming at you at once. It is the jury. He's saying he's apparently coming in with letters saying like the jury wants you to do this signed Which, by Kelly Wentworth. When did they have time to write these letters and give them to Chris specifically? Like not knowing that Chris would win the challenge. Did they all like write a few letters and get a few letters and I'm guessing they wrote general letters to the people in the game. That they all got in Chris's hands? Yeah, I guess maybe to hand it I don't know. One, I guess so let's talk about that briefly. Okay. In Big Brother where they are in a house, when they start using, like, nail polish or something and, like, writing, that gets banned by production for a very good reason, because the minute you start writing confirmable documents is the minute that Survivor stops working. Like, Mm -hmm. if you, like, force somebody in a contract or whatever to do something or, like, can confirm that Ron said this, like, it's a different game. Like, it's not a game of living in uh, hearsay. It becomes a game of confirmable words and actions. And I think this is one of the worst production things I've ever seen, letting the jury write letters to the players in the game. 
I, there's a definitely a reason this was not on the show because yeah, yeah. the backlash would be immense. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, hey, Julie, uh, your number one ally on the jury. Uh, if you don't give, if you don't work with me, basically he won't respect you or give you his vote. There's a catch twenty two for you. Like, okay, like I don't even know. Like, what are you supposed to do? You either defying the jury, and then the jury's gonna get to the end. You, you get to the end, and the jury's like, "Well, we told you what we wanted you to do, and you didn't do it. We're not voting you." Or you do it, and you're there with the person that the jury loves. Like, it literally makes it like an unwinnable, uh, self fulfilling prophecy. Like the Survivor production. If you learn anything, please don't let people write things. You've never let people write things before. Why? Well, I mean, I guess there was JT's letter. Yeah, I guess. But yeah, that is different though, right? Like, yeah, because like they're all still in the game, and yeah, I don't know. It's something to explain. I would honestly, even as entertaining as the JT letter was, I would actually lean like no writing at all because. Mm I do think that is a big deal. I see why production-wise they would let that happen, like the JT one, because yeah. it is like they're like, oh, well, this guy's gonna look like a moron. But and obviously they're gonna let anything fly that is entertaining. But there's nothing entertaining about the jury giving letters to the players like this. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know. Like if I don't know who's somebody on the jury. Like if Trish and Kageyan just walked up to Wu and told him, oh yeah, the jury loves. Tony, if you bring him, you're gonna look like a moron. The season's less good. Like I don't know why you would ever let the jury do that to the players of the game. Like it's so stupid, but Yeah, I think whatever. that's a big difference is with Chris entering the game with these, it is truly the thoughts of the jury. Like yeah. they can't get back in the game. They're not players of any sort anymore. So And I think in addition to that, so like I have a lot of problems with Redemption Island even, right? Where there is a problem, like, Ozzy gets to talk to the entire jury effectively, right? He gets to make them a fish and feed them and then beat them in a challenge and then send them on their way, right? Yeah. But he never gets to speak to the jury. He never gets to speak to the collective of them, debate, see what actually organically comes. Because seeing juries, you see, like, person leaves the game and they're like, I think this person played the best or whatever. And then they leave, and then they talk to the other people, and they're like, oh, wait a minute, I was wrong. Actually, this person played the best, and that person's a liar, or whatever. Like, there's never been a twist before where someone actually got to speak to the jury as a collective and actually know what they think, like, where they would actually vote, like, as a group. Right. Chris is the first person ever to have that power. I think that's something that no one's really brought up. Like, Ozzy didn't get to hang out with the entire jury. He got to hang out with individuals one-on-one before they talked to the other jurors. Right. Yeah, I don't know. That's another reason this twist is terrible. But <laughs> whatever. Um, I really hope this never comes again. Like, I I think this was disastrous enough. Like, we wish preseason. Like, I think a good person won. Like, a good Survivor fan won. Who seems like a nice guy. Who was disastrous to the product. So I I do hope that this means that nothing like this ever happens again, and they learn the lesson. Yeah, I don't think so. You heard Jeff be like, "This is an experiment. Just like deal with us for this one season." I think, if anything, they wanted Joe or another attorney to win because of it, and instead they had to deal with this weird third boot alpha male getting the win. But, like, hey, it happens. It happens. Um, And they had to see this coming. I guess the only thing we're missing here is now the fire. Obviously, I don't think either of us are high on the fire-making challenge. This is definitely the best it's been used, though. Like, I do actually, like... 
this move. I do like Chris's thought process of, I need to do something really, really big to deserve to win. Thank, yeah. thank God he had that mindset, because I think he probably wins anyway if he just goes to the end. Like, for what it seems, I mean, I guess Rick Devins win fire probably and goes to the end, so maybe not, but, like, at least I respect that. Like, I think Chris is a capable player, so thank God he's the one who won, but... I don't know, my mindset is, like, I don't know, that's a really risky move. You could have just gone out at that point, but it worked out for him, and... Well, he knows what the jury's thinking, right? So I assume he knows, like, I the jury loves me, and they would still vote Rick Devins unanimously over me. Like, I'm guessing that's the level that Rick Devins really was over them. Like, Okay. And in that, like, the difference between third and first is huge, right? It's ten times more money. Whereas the difference between fourth and third is actually not that big. Mm-hmm. In addition to legacy, blah, 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 all that stuff. So I actually really, right. really like that okay. move. Um, so then the only thing left here well, is... Well, I did have one more thing about yeah, the fire. Yeah, so Chris wins, and then he gives up his necklace to Julie, but also gets to choose who is in the fire. I, I feel like, what are the exact rules on that? I feel like if you give up your necklace to Julie, Julie then should, like, I know she probably would have chose Gavin to go, but Julie should make that choice, you know what I mean? I think I agree, but I mean, the right answer is that this challenge is stupid like the fact that it's <laughs> optimal to win and give it up is insane like like that's i think that shows why this thing is terrible right like there's no what's the benefit to winning there isn't one the benefit is to winning the fire making yeah I, it's so stupid but it is what it is i i'm sure they never even thought of that option before dominic proposed it in confessional like i would not 100 percent not doubt that Right. And then Dominic proposed it, and so then they were there for it, and that's probably why. You know what I mean? Like, I, I do think a lot of the survivors are just kind of on-the-fly decisions. That's something you always hear with the tie, right? Like, the tie was just decided on a whim, tie-breaking rule. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they just never thought about it, so... Uh, yeah. That's I guess that's the fire. And then we move on to Final Tribal Council, where, I guess, to me, there was no stakes anymore. It was like, okay, Chris probably won... I was kind of hoping he didn't, but then, honestly, the more I think about it, I guess this is sort of my theory here that I'm operating under, that this was a Survivor Gabon-style finale, where, like, final three, where the jury thought all three were bad choices. Like, I think Julie got no respect, clearly. I think Gavin was honestly a goat. I think people viewed him as a goat, and the fact that he got four votes, right, four votes, um, I... I think there's a lot of people who view it as, like, Gavin got robbed, and, I mean, I guess arguably he did, but I do think that, like, what the jury was faced with was three people who, in their opinion, did not play very well. Three people, like, two people who basically did nothing and just kind of rode coattails, and then somebody who, like, did, like, was voted out for half the game, and then sort of just showed up at the end. Like, I do think they kind of had this, like, bizarre decision that no jury's really ever had to face before. Like, well, is it better to get voted out, like, third than make it through the whole game and suck and not do anything? Maybe it is. Well, and another thing I read, which I think is a very salient point, is that by voting Chris to win, you're saying, oh, if I had made it back into the game, I could have been Chris, and I could have won this game. Yes. Like, the journey was there for me. I just didn't, but I can... And that's exactly what we forecast when we first heard about this twist, right? Like, like 
a year ago or whatever, we did a podcast and we were basically like, this is such a messed up concept because whoever comes back from Edge of Extinction is obviously winning because they got to hang out with the jury. Mend fences, like, like fix the burning bridges, put out the fires, like, get on good terms with everybody, and then enter the game. And then the, you're t- asking the jury to vote for their experience being a waste. Voting mm-hmm. against Chris is basically saying, Reem, I suffered on this beach starving for 35 days, and I should vote against that journey. That my journey doesn't matter as much as the other way. That my experience is null and void. Like, you're asking the jury to vote against that instinct, and yeah. that's never going to happen. The jury is always going to vote for whoever came back in here. Yeah. And you notice the people who did vote for Gavin are people who made it farther in the game, generally. You had yeah. Rick and Aurora, and then I think David and Kelly. And like... No, not David. It was Ke- So it was Kelly, Lauren. Oh, okay. Kelly, Lauren. Um, Kel- yeah, Kelly, Lauren. Rick and Vic- Aurora. Rick and Aurora, yeah. So yeah. Rick was there the longest of all of them, right? Yeah. Yeah. Kelly made it. I guess Kelly was the earliest boot who voted for uh gavin and it seemed like they were really close so i wouldn't be surprised if that was the right reasoning there like gavin got that confessional being like kelly wentworth's my number one or whatever a couple weeks ago so i do think that this was three goats like i do think this is three goats and i do think that rick devins beats all of them i wouldn't be surprised if lauren beats all of them i wouldn't be surprised if victoria apparently definitely beats all of them so i think that's something interesting i guess the one thing i kind of want to touch on before we move on is a lot of people are our dragon victoria for not voting for gavin because she said it uh, I saw on Twitter, she basically said, I was never voting for Gavin. I was hoping they would vote him out next when I said I'm voting for him. <laughs> because she really did not like Gavin. So uh, I think that's kind of an interesting thing to note. And I just wanted that to, uh, for any uh, people wondering why that happened. That's why that happened. Apparently, like, apparently the view of Gavin was that he was like, basically did nothing, but still managed to like burn people. You know what I mean? Like still like had, like, had bad jury management while also doing mm-hmm. nothing. And we saw that with him backstabbing Rick or uh, Eric for no reason, and Victoria. You know what I mean? Like we saw that a number of times. So I think that makes yeah. sense. I think my thing, and I don't know if I want to mention it when we talk specifically about Julie, is just I feel so bad for Julie, and it almost feels like is it possible for an older woman to win Survivor? Like Julie, I think had a pretty good game. Like she navigated a lot of stuff. Gavin, I know, had zero votes, but Julie only had one against her. Two immunity wins, didn't go to tribal pre-merge, and yet she was written off the same way as every other older female. I think that's just really unfortunate. Like, there's no solution. I can't tell people, stop. Well, I can, but it's not going to do anything. I can't be like, stop. And the worst part is each result like this reinforces the last one, right? Right. Every... Because, like, if, like, for example, if I'm on Survivor 41 or whatever, if you can't expect the players to not play into that, right? Like, if I'm on Survivor 42, I am definitely going to work with the strategic older woman, because if I get to the end with her, she will not get votes. Mm -hmm. And that's something that at this point is a pattern, which means people are going to play into that, which means that people are going to, like, run that game calculus when then when the older woman's there and the younger person's there and they say hey i brought the older woman because that's what you do then the younger person gets credit so maybe we'll see a season where there's three older women they all know to group with one another and they're the final three and i mean 
isn't there the stat right that it's like no like woman over 40 has beaten anybody younger than them except tina i think because denise the other two were older yeah so it's Um, like and then that's really yeah that's the only one like the sepia but like she wasn't that old compared to nalia yeah Uh, not good yeah it's really bad like i don't know it's clearly a problem but and like they did it they did it again they like were like here's an older plucky woman and i think part of it is me like latching on immediately because a lot of people seem to be like i i didn't remember anything about julie when she was definitely front and center for us for all the entire season i noticed her but they did it where they gave her an okay edit and it still ended up in the typical place so i don't know yeah it's it's unfortunate but it is what it is that said let's move here to let's talk about like how we think we actually did so obviously preseason we both picked the winner so uh hats off to us we win but that said last episode obviously i think we actually are are of two minds here i'm actually of the opinion that i'm very very happy with our coverage this season because i do think we more or less nailed the story of the season i think we more or less nailed the themes and i think we more or less nailed who was gonna win and this is maybe a hot take here but i do think that for the most part from pretty early on we were saying neither of these tribes are complex because the minute rick left uh lesu it stopped being complex it just started being this mess so to me i was always operating under the assumption that edge of extinction was the complex tribe absolutely correct i think i think we nailed that and i mean uh, evidenced by the fact that chris is our winner and i do think that in addition to that um it, it it proves complex tribe theory very well under the bob crowley lens right where it's just it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if they haven't been on the show in a long time. It doesn't matter if they have got a bet at it. They're the last remaining member of their the tribe of a, a Edge of Extinction, so they win. I do think that it was something that we nailed. Um, and for basically the entire merge, we were operating on an assumption that somebody, the winner was going to hit Edge of Extinction before they won. Whether that was getting voted out, entering, and then vice versa. That said, we didn't specifically pick it was Chris. I And that's a mistake. But I do think the general trend of what we were saying was correct and so i'm very happy with that i think we felt it with david more i felt yeah. like david had that trajectory where he could come back and win chris i think chris really threw us off with that premiere where he and julia are the only two to not get confessionals which i think is still a weird choice like yep having chris win and doing that but it it was tricky it worked um uh I think my biggest success, I guess, in this season is, and I still had Rick pick to win last episode, but knowing sort of the whole time something felt really weird about it, like it didn't feel winner-y, it had that sort of Christian feel where it was big and distracting and not not going to the end for some reason, and like I said, I picked Rick to win, so it's not a full win, but we saw it pay out and i think it paid out really well in that rick became this humongous threat that chris who hasn't been on the show for several episodes has to slay to make a name for himself so i think that worked out really well and like the prophecy literally happened right like rick literally became david wright the same Mm -hmm. position david wright was in i mean plus a fire challenge and still lost hopefully that david wright inspired the fire making challenge hopefully that means it's dead forever 
Uh, I really hope that is the case. And they're like, oh, Rick's still lost. Woohoo, let's cancel it. But um, <laughs> regardless, I do think that one thing that we made very clear from day one is we were never going to say the winner's Edge of Extinction number two or whatever. Like We were committed to saying that that was a cop-out, that if you were to pick, that's picking half the cast, blah, blah, blah. That said, we did think that the winner was going to come. At least I thought the winner was always going to come from Edge of Extinction, either that being Rick or somebody coming in on their second time or on the second time there. And I honestly think that if you look at our coverage, if basically it was Rick and then Edge of Extinction returning, if we did go under that moniker, which I do think is a cop out and a mistake, that I think we were spot on, right? Like, I think it worked exactly as intended. So I'm very happy with our coverage. I'm proud of what we did. And in addition to that, I think we nailed the stories of the season. Mm-hmm. Even more than I think I was expecting going in, every one of our stories hit the like was directly brought up in the finale, and I thought that was really fun. And the winner's story was literally summarized as one of the ones that we did. So, uh, one of the ones that we had, I thought that was really great at Final Travel Council. Chris basically says uh, the checklist experience, what people want to do in Survivor perfection theme, and I was like, thank you, Chris uh, Underwood. Yeah, I think another thing. Because I'm not sure if I'm so sold on me always thinking it was coming from Edge of Extinction. I had Ron up there. I had Julie up there. And neither of those people really had an Edge of Extinction story in their foresights if they were to win, I think. Um, but another thing, I think, is staying away from people like Lauren and Wardog. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to have seen like the flaws in those with Lauren it really was sort of a Kara style edit where it was hundred percent big at points, but not big in the right places in the right ways. And it had that same feel of people kept being like, wait, wait, it's coming. This is going to be Lauren's big episode. And then she goes out in the finale, like negative and looking bad. And I was like, that's good. Um, War dog. I think just overbearing that negativity just never felt right. We never got who he was as a person. We said that the story start, felt like it started in the middle as opposed to getting introduced to him properly. Um, so I think those two are big ones where I feel like I at least saw someone who wasn't winning, even if I couldn't I agree. see who was winning. I, I agree. And I do think that like I th- this is a tweet that I made uh, during the premiere. I said, I hope this moment causes the Edge community to start looking at the Devon edit and stop falling for it. It's clearly an intentional and consistent story archetype at this point. It's happened every single season in a row at this point. Uh, sometimes the doubt isn't in front, and I think that's something to note. We'll talk about that more later when we talk about the future of Edgic and what this season changes, because obviously this was a pretty cataclysmic, bizarre finale, so we are going to talk about what that means for the future. Um, but I think the number mm-hmm. one thing is don't fall for the, like, Michelle but without the CP content edit. Like, that's very clearly intentional and trying, like, like Kara, Devin, um, who was the... I guess Lauren, right? Like, I think they were all intentionally edited the same way. And it's almost note for note the same way. And I, I do think that, like, that's something that, like, at this point has been fallen for four times in a row by the broad community. So I hope everyone learns from that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So let's move here to our people individually. We're going to go through each one, talk about basically, did their story work? What's the conclusion of their story? What were we supposed to take from them? And we're actually going to start here with an interesting thing. We're just going to start here with Edge of Extinction as a concept. Uh, where do you want to go from here, Joe? Uh, when I added this, I kind of meant, like, discussing all the people on there yeah. as yeah, a yeah. whole, like, as their stories. And um, I don't know. I think we predicted what would happen and what did happen is 
there's really not enough space to give all these people stories and also still have the game going on. So my magic chart just looks like instead of a stair step of gray boxes to indicate elimination, it's all these UTRs and then some UTRPs later as they are so positive with their experience. But I still think we got some good stories from there. Reem is such a great character to have throughout the whole season. Um, it was interesting how like Julia came back weirdly. Um, mm-hmm. But overall, yeah, it just there's just not enough space, especially once you start getting like a tribe's worth of people there and no reason to show the full dynamics of it. Exactly. It doesn't pan out right. That's, like, why it doesn't work, right? Is, one, if Survivor was not... I honestly think, like, people are calling for Survivor to be 90 minutes. I think if Survivor was 90 minutes long, we'd basically get the same amount of content from these people, I think. Maybe, like, one more segment. Because, mm-hmm. ultimately, you're right. There isn't a reason to show their dynamics other than they really like each other. Uh, yeah. Which I'm sure was basically that the dynamic there. Uh, I guess the only things I kind of want to bring up are that I do think that the, re- the way this Edge of Extinction was edited all season is why I thought it was the Complex Tribe, because they would be doing mundane things and getting, like, mm-hmm. really positive content. There really wasn't anybody who went negative, other than Reem, maybe, for, like, once one episode yeah, went negative it, on Edge of Extinction. And it was interestingly against Chris, who she absolutely loved in the finale, was, like, rooting for Chris at every turn, so... Almost as a way, I think, looking back, to provide him with some sort of, uh... How do you put it? Like, conflict. You know what I mean? Uh, some sort yeah. of uh, pressing danger, I like think. Like, a story. Like Yeah, right? Like, he conquered Keith. He conquered Reem, and he ended up making them like him or whatever. Like, I do think that that makes a lot of sense. And really, his winter, I think his winter story was actually pretty good, and we'll get to that when we, like, uh, we're going to talk specifically about Chris quite a bit, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Is That's why I think it was, to me anyway, I guess we we varied there, but... Why I always thought the winner was going to go there is I think that it could have been shown a lot more negative. It could have been shown a lot more like, drama-y. And instead it was just like every episode, like a glowing, positive view of like people living their board. And so to me, I always thought the winner was going to come from there. And I don't know. I think it was a failure even on that front. But whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to imagine what it does look like if the winner doesn't come from there because it was already so sidelined. Like, there's so much. There's episodes where the entire island is invisible. Um, So, like, when someone from that doesn't win, do we get it even less visible? Is it more dramatic and sort of all over the place? Probably. I don't know. Hopefully we never see it. So <laughs> yeah, hopefully we never know. But I guess the, I guess in my brain canon, if say just Gavin wins the jury vote, like everything else happens the same. I think basically we get the same thing, but probably more obnoxious Chris. Like more of the more of the explanation for why Reem was annoyed. Reem and Chris or Reem and Keith hated him so much. Mm-hmm. And probably probably a little bit more from the others about why they really want to go back, and then less about Chris. But then other than that, I feel like it's mostly the same, but like just less inspiring and more like how bored they are and that kind of stuff. Yeah. How hungry they are. More survivalistic. Because for a theme that was supposed to be about the survival parts, it was basically never touched on. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's, yeah, it never seemed, it still never seemed more hard than the people on the yeah. actual island. I think it completely failed to sell the idea that it was hard. Mm-hmm. 
And like they only showed them having to make the rice trek once. And yep. like I think if they had done that a few more times, like, oh, this is so hard, but I don't know. It still doesn't feel clear how hard it was, if it was hard at all. I don't know. I agree. I think it completely failed there. But uh, hopefully that's the last time we ever have to talk about Edge of Extinction ever again. <laughs> Let's move here to Victoria, who had a tragic sixth place placing. Which I don't think we were expecting at all. No. I mean, this finale is a really tumbled our predictions that we made last episode. Yeah, but... our predictions were not good. My predictions were better. Like, imagine if we actually <laughs> got two votes in the finale instead of zero. Uh, that would have been really fun. Instead, we just got idol shenanigan, idol shenanigan, fire making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think my <laughs> theory where people might actually enjoy watching people get voted out. And it's a crazy take, but... Um, Victoria, I think we more or less nailed her story here. We knew that there was something wrong. We guessed the wrong thing, which, to be honest, I didn't think about what was going to happen here to Victoria. I, I thought, I thought they were telling us that she was underrated in the game, not that she was going to get robbed. Yeah, it really feels like a idol out edit where they really want to show more of her, and it's obvious she's playing a good game. But if you show more, people get attached, and then doesn't feel like you're left with people thinking Victoria was truly robbed instead of just the super fans like us who are like Victoria was robbed but everybody would be thinking that instead yeah like they they want drama they want people talking they don't want people saying this show's rigged I'm done with it like Mm -hmm. there's a line where they don't want to cross I think if they really really edited her best player that that really would happen like I do think that there would be a lot more backlash here um so yeah, I guess I, I guess for the most part her story works. I I do think that I guess this is something that we should touch on here before we go too much further. I think that there was a very deliberate attempt to make a lot of these people not visible. I think that failed. I think that was a very 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 bad editing style. I think Laura, Victor, sorry Victoria is one of the victims of that. Where they just didn't show them as often as they should have throughout the season to sort of downplay it. Yeah, because basically, I think, I mean, ultimately, like we said, like, 30 of these days don't matter. Mm -hmm. And I think there was a deliberate attempt to downplay the endgame people. I don't think it's a coincidence that the main characters of this season were Dave and Kelly and Wardog. I do think that generally you see the biggest characters in the end. Mm -hmm. Generally, it's pretty easy to, like, look at the characters at the start and be like, okay, the most dominant characters generally make the end, or their sidekicks or whatever do. Here we basically got a bunch of nobodies. I think it's to um, have an easier load on Chris coming back and winning and the rest of the game not mattering. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that worked. Like, I think it was a failure. Yeah. That just made the rest of it cheapened. Like, I don't think you should cheapen your own product to sell the end. Yeah, it really makes the like last few episodes sag, too, because all these big characters keep going, and you're left with people who haven't gotten as much content, so we're not exactly sure how we're supposed to care about them or why. I agree. Uh, I guess, basically, Victoria's story was how she was, she was a cutthroat badass who could completely separate the game from her emotions, consistently voted in the right way, knew the tide of the game better than anybody else. And it was somebody that was dominating the game, but didn't get the credit for it. And I think the Survivor editors wanted to make sure that people knew that she was the force in this game. 
that they want. I think that I'll, in many ways you can see this edit as a love letter to her in the bare minimum way. It's like you have a crush on the girl and you're trying to give like you're trying to hype them up as much as you can, but without giving away that you were really fond of them. I think that's the edit that Victoria got. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. And yeah, I guess that's probably good. I guess the one thing that foreshadowing wise that I caught was we get her and this is going to be for the girls in general, unfortunately. We get that wonderful scene at the start where uh, Julie talks about how girls aren't looking for idols, and then Victoria is like, oh, and I'm never going to look for an idol because the island's so big, and, and there's so many trees, and all mm. that. Victoria and Julie kind of look, leave that looking a little bit goofy, a little bit uh, aloof, and what do you know, Victoria's ultimate failure in the game was not finding an idol. Same with Julie. And at least in Julie's case, she gets to look like a moron when she plays a fake one. Victoria just looks like bad because she gets I like effectively idled out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's one piece of foreshadowing that I caught when I went back and rewatched a bunch of stuff. Is that yeah, the the edit was definitely telegraphing like Victoria is making a big mistake by not looking. Yeah, it made them look. We kind of thought at times that it could mean idols aren't gonna be what matters in this game but it was very much the opposite idols yep. are super important and if you're not looking you're dumb so yeah unfortunately almost the flip to last season right like it really was almost the flip where last season we're like okay a girl's definitely gonna find an idol and it's gonna matter in a huge way and it's gonna be the c- celebration of a girl finding it and succeeding with it and then this one it was the opposite this one that's what the story was but like, the story was about how great idols are, and mm-hmm. how if you work harder than everybody else, you can find them. And, yeah. and uh, so we flipped them a little bit, but that's fine. Is that good for Victoria? I think so. Cool. Next, let's move up to Edgic Darling Lauren, uh, who had a tragic... I, actually, this is something that I, in the Did We Succeed section that I didn't bring up. I 100% called that this episode would be a mockery of Lauren. And I was right. We got to see a different side of her, a very... um. Like, immature and not good at survivor side of Lauren in all kinds of different ways. Mostly centered around idols, but I would say that this episode was a tearing down of the myth that they built up with Lauren. And mm-hmm. I think I was very proud that I called that, that that's what was going to happen this episode. That's true. With that, of course, her idol misplay and using the fake idol. But also that Ryan Reynolds comment where she's like, if I'm with you at a bar and I see Ryan Reynolds, you better watch out. Like, ugh. Not a good yeah. look, Lauren. <laughs> Not but. a good look. And, like, in addition to that, we got, like, a lot of her... Oh, I think Julie's idol's fake, because I have one. That means yeah. hers be fake. Like, it really dug into... And mm. it, poor Lauren, like, like <laughs> seeing all the people being so hyped for you online and stuff, like, it's probably pretty sad to see that this is the treatment you got. Yeah. And it's it's a weird treatment overall, because there was all that stuff with... Lauren versus the elements, and Lauren's hungry, and Lauren's cold and hot, and what did that all mean in the end? Nothing. Nothing. Right? Like I do think that Lauren's story was blatant lying, blatant edit manipulation, and I'm that. This is the edit that I'm the most frustrated by, actually, of all of them. Basically, they presented, and I get why people thought she was gonna win, like I do, because the editor is something she wasn't. They did manipulate the edit. They did, like, they should, you know what it is? I feel like they edited this season. They thought about who was going to get what arcs and who was going to get whatever. And then they're like, okay, and we're going to make Lauren the edgic distraction or whatever. She's going to be the, she's, well, she's going to be Devin. We're going to put her in that slot. 
And I think that a lot of her content feels shoehorned in, has no payoff, no real purpose. She never really comments what she thinks about people. Like, it just feels empty and void and without purpose. Like, it really does feel like it was there to, like, throw a wig and, like, throw a gear into the machine to kind of disrupt it a little bit. Like, that's all this feels like. So much of it just doesn't matter at all. Yeah, I guess. How would you re-edit Lauren, like, overall? I think you do more, like, because earlier on she had, like, this fangirl story, right? Of, like, she loves Kelly Wentworth and she's playing with Kelly Wentworth and how cool is that? I think you get the same effect if you just go more down that road, where she's wannabe Kelly Wentworth. She does basically the same thing, but instead of being having the perfect reads on uh, the game state, she's uh, she thinks she's Kelly Wentworth, but she's just playing from the bottom. She's just a fangirl. She doesn't. She isn't actually Kelly Wentworth, so she can't. She is capable of the things Kelly Wentworth was. She can't idle out Andrew Savage and get a hundred votes on him or whatever, or I guess just one. Sorry. Um, instead. She is incapable of playing her idol correctly. I think if you do more of that thing, almost like a misery style edit, but like obviously down like misery, the Stephen King novel um, style thing, like I think that works a lot better. You make because I think it's clear that she wasn't super respected. I don't think she was this threat that they were saying. I don't think that Chris enters the game is like basically like Kelly's not going to vote for you. Like I think that to me was like oh Lauren's a, not a threat to win this mm-hmm. thing. That's why she's not right. being targeted. Right. So I think if you play more into that, if you don't just needlessly present her as a threat, if you actually present her as what she was with Kelly's tag along and kind of play into that like annoying little sister who won't go away kind of character, that's what I think Lauren should have been. And I think that would be way more satisfying than just being lied to for a long time. Yeah. I don't know. It's very hard to imagine because we've been sold uh, Morp Lauren O'Connell for the whole season that if we got more of this finale, Lauren, like, it's weird because she's almost the last member of Lesu because, like, Rick got voted out. So, like, she's this sort of underdog, but I don't know. I think it's a hard one to piece together, but, yeah, they did something weird with this that doesn't fit into the end. I think it's the same. anyone else, really. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's the same thing as Devin and Kara, right? Like, I think, just a brief tangent here, if you watch Survivor Triple H, you leave that season feeling like Devin got robbed and he would have won if he got to the end. And then, I, I mean, I've done all the research, I've listened to the exit interview. Devin was not respected. They've All the juries, jury members have effectively said that Devin would have just been a GOAT in, in place of Devin, and Ryan would have got De- uh, Ben's votes. Ryan was the one who would have won that, and they lied and said that Devin basically was the threat was the threat to Ben when he wasn't. Ben was not scared of Devin at all mm-hmm. in the end at all whatsoever. He was just edited as an obstacle. Lauren's the same way. Lauren's just edited as an obstacle, nat- like artificially inflated from the ground into an obstacle. Kara was the same way. Again, the jury says that they did not respect Kara at all. The story of David vs. Goliath would make you think that Kara absolutely wins on social game or whatever, which is not the case. And I do think that this is... An unfortunate trap. I, I I don't think it's good storytelling at all. Devin maybe was just as an interesting wrinkle, but three times in a row, this needs to go away. I think. Yeah, or it needs to be more subverted. Like it was subverted a little bit here because Lauren wasn't the fire making loser like Devin yeah. and Kara were, but she still got to the end um, and was shown as a threat all the way until the end. So I liked I like this obstacle edit. I think it's an interesting wrinkle because it is always so close to a winner's edit in some ways Mm -hmm. but 
I want it to see it more removed. Like this can easily go back to shock pre-merge boot or merge boot. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it's for a while now, it's always ended up being that fifth or fourth placer. So, yep. And I think that's exactly what we thought. I think that's exactly where we thought she would place. And I don't know. I think the people who were really thinking under that li- line saw this as a clear finale, but not finalist boot for Lauren. And that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Let's move here to Rick Devins. Obviously, the main character of the season, the dominant character mm-hmm. um, in your face, did not win. Um, we obviously said last week, like, the only thing, not even save this season, the only thing that can make this basically not the worst season is if Rick wins, because it's the only consistent story. I think I stand by that. I think that this season does suffer a lot from Rick not just being the winner. I think I think I disagree. I really like how this was used. I think making Rick this gigantic character to sort of set up Chris's win makes sense. When you can't show Chris for 10 episodes without making it, I think, more obvious that he's going to return and win, I think this is a really great way to do that, show this unstoppable force, even if it's a little unbearable at times. But I think it worked out well. Okay, so my... I was also someone who was like, yeah, Rick, but it feels weird. And mm-hmm. I think this is still a distraction somehow-ish. Yeah, that's fair. I guess for me, the problem is ultimately stems from Chris and Rick were not edited as enough of a duo. I think that's ultimately the failing here is I think that what we saw, and apparently from all postseason stuff, that Rick and Chris were like actually like inseparable. And they had like all this like like coming back together on Edge of Extinction, like Rick, uh, Rick, and they apparently had like a fake wedding, and like they because they were super, <laughs> like Chris was super salty at Rick, and vice versa, and then they got over it, and then so like I feel like the ultimate failing of everything here is the decision to make Rick tied with David instead of Rick tied with Chris. Um, <clears throat> that's my problem. Is I think if you just flip this and have Rick between Chris and David, and then have Chris, like, build up to Chris and Rick so that when Chris gets voted out, it hurts real hard, it stings, it burns. And then when Rick, like, I don't know why this didn't happen, because it's not like they're missing the content. Like, Chris and Rick were inseparable. Chris was salty. Rick did get voted out right after, showing Chris why it was a mistake. And they did get over it. They bonded. And then that ended up paying off in the end game. Like, why wasn't that shown on TV? I have no idea. I think it's a complete failing. I was always of the opinion that Chris could come back because he did have the bond with uh, Rick. And I I mean, even the Edge community, like, I, I posted on Unspoiled and people were like, no, like, what do you mean? Like, when did Chris and Rick talk? Like, people who were watching these things multiple times didn't catch that they were connected. Like, that's bad storytelling. I think if you make it more obvious, does it make it so apparent that they're both coming back at some point because we're talking about the third and fourth boots here so if we're really (laughs) emphasizing chris and rick as a like really strong pair in a season that at that point i think lacked strong pairs like you had eric and gavin who were constantly getting ignored on comma um i think if you do that then like oh well yeah of course rick and chris have to do something together later on like, I could see more of it where it's like, they're close, um, Chris gets voted out, he's mad at Rick, Rick gets voted out, they have like a reconciliation on the Edge of Extinction, and then you leave it alone for a bit. Yes. And 
Yeah, I think that works better. But I think if you boost it up anymore, it starts to get really apparent that, hmm, these third and fourth placers seem weirdly important in a season where they could both be important. So That's true. I do think that, though... In general, the number one thing Survivor needs to learn, from my perspective anyway, the number one thing I would change is don't service unpredictability over coherent storytelling. Um, Hmm. I think that's something like Lost made the mistake of, right? Like Lost the television show. They're looking online for fan theories and they try to subvert them so that no one ever expected anything. And then there's no Hmm. coherent narrative for Lost whatsoever. Um, I think you're right. I I think I probably sold my idea a little poorly. I don't... Like, I think you still portray Ricky David as basically the exact same, but just lump Chris in as the clear third and have it yeah. be like he's bouncing between them. Maybe even have Chris come, like maybe not even have Rick talk about Chris, have Chris be like, I really, I really trust uh, Rick. And then Rick be like, I really trust David. Just so you you see um, the established order, right? You know what I mean? Like you see that Chris is delusional and trusting Rick. So, you know, he's going to get blindsided. It's going to hurt. And then when they go, they have that reconciliation. We got it a little bit with like Rick showing Chris the map, but that's it. And like, who remembers that? Nobody. Um, So I think that's, I guess that's the big thing for me is the dynamic between them was just a little bit too subtle, a little bit too simple, really. Mm -hmm. Um, Other than that, I think it works. I do actually like him basically being David Wright. I think that's actually a pretty clever decision by the editors. Um, Almost note for note, but more obnoxious. And then, because I guess like, the idea was that you're rooting for him to kind of get toppled, but like you kind of like him. I get that. Yeah. Um, and I think they did a good job of that. I think we, as someone who, as people who watch it closely, are really going to tire of Rick Devins, but I can totally see why more casual fans would really glum onto that and root for this underdog character. Um, agreed. The one thing that is sort of weird about rick now that he hasn't won is that tribal council where he gets voted out like where the whole thing is positive like i think that's a weird choice because why is everyone positive why is it such a struggle for lasu to vote someone out if you don't have to show them you don't really have to endorse the edge of extinction returnee from this tribal council as a good winner i agree i think that they i genuinely think that they basically just edited it as if rick won which, yeah, that might be, that was a good choice. I mean, it tricked us yeah. through and through. It made it really satisfying when Chris toppled him. And then I think transferred, for me at least, a lot of that energy to Chris winning. Yeah, because like, I think even like parables to Devins, like Rick Devins, don't have that, right? Like David Wright gets roasted in the premiere of Millennials for Gen X for being like mm-hmm. a Looney Tune. Uh like, Kathy uh, Vavrick O'Brien, same thing, right? Like, has a really bad premiere or a really bad episode or whatever. Like, generally, this kind of type of person, like, the fan favorite who leaves right before, they aren't afraid. To, like, the Fallen Angel, they aren't afraid to give some negativity to you. Well, and we saw that, I guess. Like, Rick did have negativity. Different it's, kind, though, right? Like, I, I'm it, meaning more... Um, I, I guess you're right. Like, you're meaning, like, the episode 8. But... Well, yeah, and you're right that it's different. Whereas they got it right at the beginning and they grew out of it. It was more of that Ben style or Mike style negativity where it's these weird pop-up moments that are like, is this person really winning or who we want to see win? And so they sort of did this Fallen Angel edit, but in a different way. 
I agree. I actually think, I think this is a good time to hear talk about somebody who commented on our post last week. Uh, he who shrugs on Reddit said uh, basically like t- talking about our themes and all the talk about it's okay to not play a perfect game from Chris is probably the editor's way of justifying Rick despite being voted out and going on a cheap immunity idol run. Um, and where am I supposed? To, where am I looking? So I think that's actually a really good point because yeah, I think that's what it was. Is we we really should have seen the really cheap win coming. I mean. We thought it was one cheap one, and it was an even cheaper win, but that's still <laughs> fine, fine and dandy. Um, and basically, then he leans into it's it's still possible that, that the second edge of extinction returning might sneak in and carry Rick's figurative torch to the win, which would keep the th- themes intact, but subvert the Mike Ben story we thought they were telling. I think yeah, that's a uh, good job on that post, and I think that was exactly what ended up happening. We yes. got the themes, we got what they were telling us, we got that it was going to be a cheap win. I think we just didn't take that to its logical conclusion that it would be. I think I think we were more offended by Rick's journey than um, that we didn't expect something could be worse. I really did not anticipate in my wildest dreams that they would be handing the Edge of Extinction. You know, what was that? You I never in my never in my wildest dreams thought that they would be handing the Edge of Extinction person an idol. Like I really did not yeah. ever think yeah. that. Chris leaves this game fifth place if that idol is not in the game. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's something to note, and it's unfortunate. Like, I do think that is... I just didn't expect that there would be an even cheaper win than coming in with, like, no threat, because you've already got voted out, having the jury love you, and have an idol, find all the idols. Like, I really don't think there's going to be anything cheaper than that. So that's kind of yeah. on me. But, yeah, like, uh, excellent point by He Who Shrugs, and I think that was a good uh, summary of basically what his story was. It was a subverted Mike uh, Ben-style thing. Mm-hmm. Are you excited to see Rick come back for another season? Um, you know <laughs> what? Like, I wouldn't be against it. Um, I think it would be, he's definitely a big character. It would be interesting in some way. I don't particularly want to see it, but we'll definitely have it, I think. I want, I guess what I want to see is I want to see a Rick Devitt. Like, this is, I guess we'll talk about this another time, but like, this is the same reason, like, I do back the people, like, because basically his story was he failed to ever have any control in the game. And was just consistently on the bottom. I do like to see those kind of people to see if maybe they can flip it around and do have some control. Like, what, what's Rick like in the majority or whatever? I think that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm all here for it, right? Like, I'm. I don't think they're gonna. I don't think he's gonna have the same arc twice uh, where he's dominating screen time. I think this is a weak cast, and that's why he dominated screen time. Mm-hmm. So that's probably good for Rick. Um, just have a couple more people here to go through. Obviously, Julie, we've talked about a lot here, where, poor Julie, this is... I feel like the the editors had a soft spot for Julie. Yeah. Yeah, I think there was a half-attempt to sort of show Julie as someone who did okay, and just a, the jury was never going to respect it, so... Yep. Her story her. was literally... And, like, her... Like, she literally... In that ep, like in the final tropical council, brought up our mother's woman and general theme, right? Like mm-hmm. spot on, directly. I it was and so it, cl- so clearly a theme. I think for we talked a lot throughout this se- season about um, edit sort of wrapping up neatly with a bow when Julie had her final tribal council speech. It really felt like it was all just wrapping up neatly. Like I did well. I got to the final three. Who I am. And I proved to my kids that I'm more than just a mom from who pees in the park in New Central Park. Yep. Pretty much. And it's a shame. I think 
Julie deserves way more credit for the game she played, but yeah, she didn't get it. Um, Edit-wise, it was almost sort of like an edgic exercise. Like, look at this edit. You know what exactly where it's going to go. Like, we knew from the very beginning Julie was going to be a big character somewhere down the line. Come merge, she fulfilled that. And then, yeah, lasted all the way until the end. And we still thought maybe she can win this. Maybe this is that season. It wasn't. Um, but yeah, that's Julie. Yeah. Like Julie is an interesting one. Like you said, it was basically just an exercise like on, okay, this girl is clearly getting like, she has legs, but not necessarily winter legs. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think at any point, like, I mean, very small points throughout. We were like, okay, she's going to win. Like, I think we were always like, she can win, but oh, I was, I was sold on it multiple times, but, but like pre-merge, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. I feel like I'm actually looking at your show. Okay, you have our number one one time. I think that's fine. Um, but you know what I mean. Like, it, I feel like it never felt quite right. Like, it always felt like to me anyway. I always felt like more than likely I was looking at our losing finalist or fourth mm-hmm. place or something like that. Like, it, it always did feel that way. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. That that was so obvious. I feel like it's probably a bad thing for the edit. Um, yeah, but you but... know, it, whatever. It's like, what are you going to do with these people if it's the same archetype doing the same job over and over? Yep. Like, yeah. I don't know how you would have edited Julie differently. I always think of her as, like, someone who's kooky and, like, weird, but there wasn't a ton of that actually on the show. Yep. So who knows if she had these moments where you could constantly show her sort of as a Wendy-type character. But I'm sure we would have got a lot more than that if Edge of Extinction didn't exist, where... We basically learn the bare minimum of all these people. Yeah. Um, that's something that that's my biggest problem with this season as a whole is that we literally learn like the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. So I have no idea. Like at tribal council, she seemed way kookier than she did on the beach. So I, I would assume that that means that she was pretty kooky and we just didn't see it for whatever reasons. Um, yeah. There's really no comedy in this season, right? Like I guess Rick's making fun of people was the comedy. I um, mean, Wendy. Yeah. Wendy early on. But yeah, post merge, it's pretty, it's pretty dire. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much just uh, people like saying who's gonna get voted out, and then that happening basically. Um, yeah. Not much time for anything else, or it's Rick saying like, I guess one liners, but like there yeah. weren't really any character moments. There weren't really anything like I don't know. Yeah, it's weird because I can remember like War Dog saying I'm a lost student, or like Aurora saying. I was in the foster care system, but it's really just these like quick shots into their life and then back yep. to whatever character they were playing. So, yeah, like it was, it, I think this season really suffered from like show don't tell. Or they told, but didn't show us things. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. war dog crunches numbers all day on the beach. We didn't ever really see that. Um, I don't know. That kind of stuff bothers me. Uh, I, I guess to me, the more I think about it, like this isn't the show that I fell in love with. Um, it's so different, like, in every way that it really does hurt me a lot. I do think Survivor's going down a really dangerous path here. I don't know why we're talking about this during the Julie thing, but um, <laughs> I do kind of miss my favorite show, you know what I mean? Like, I, it's, yeah. it's close enough that I still like it, but this isn't why people fell in love with Survivor, and I really agree for it for that reason. Yeah, it's... it's hard because you think about why you like it so much, and it's because it's that consistent format of there's an immunity challenge and then someone gets voted out rinse and repeat there's a jury they would choose the winner so on and so forth but 
production and like CBS seems to think that's not enough. There needs to be twists and innovation and exciting advantages and stuff. When I think for you and me, that's definitely not the case. And I don't know if it's the case for the public at large either, but that's I don't think it is. Like, I really don't think it is. I think that, I think when you look at, like, if you go on, like, the Facebook page, the number one thing they ask is, like, less idols is number one. Mm -hmm. Like, every Facebook page post is, like, every idol is so annoying. Like, where's the hunting? Like, half of it, and then half of it's, like, where's the social, like, character kind of stuff? I think that adds more, I don't know. They're afraid of having a season at all where it's just so bland. Like, they Mm -hmm. don't want it ever to be just rote survivor, which, yeah, I don't want that either, but I'd rather have that, you know, than... But, okay, I guess my question, do people dislike rote survivor? Because to me, I think that the format works. The format works for a reason. I'm thinking, like, what happens if you get, like, a... What's a good Pagongi? Like, what if Survivor Borneo happened? Like, the same structure... Like, is uh, that going to be exciting? To... I guess. I guess the parallel here that I think I'm I'm going to take away the Survivor. You know, I think I'm just going to present the Dark Ages again, right? Where Redemption Island, South Pacific, One World, all generally regarded as pretty bad seasons, Pagongings, not and, huge, hmm. twisty, right? Is that the to me? I would have. I personally think that this modern era of Survivor, minus last season, is significantly worse than that era. Yeah, I think I saw someone have a like Twitter poll being like, what's the Shannon new Dark Gates. Ages? Who? Shannon Gates had the poll. Okay. Um, but yeah, is it 35 through 38 minus 37 or uh, 21 through 26, 25 minus Philippines? Yeah. And yeah, I would kind of say this most recent stuff is worse. But I'm I also... Definitely. I think One World is an interesting point to bring up because I'm probably like the biggest One World fan. And yeah, people don't like it, but it was a pagonging. Is that why people don't like it? Like, what what's the problem with One World? With- I think the problem for, with One World is honestly the like bad character. Like, I, I really like I think Colton hurts, hurts it a lot. That's Yeah, I stopped I think- watching for that reason, but. I think, yeah, that's what does a lot of people is that Colton's there and he's awful. But I, in my mind, I push that aside for yeah. all the other great characters that are there. But I get it, I guess. But yeah, like Kat's a great character. People, I think, universally like Kat. People, I think the, I think the problem with One World is probably like Kim's a little too boring. Um, the gameplay's a little too pagongy. There's no one to root for, probably. Like, I think that's probably more of the problem. But I don't know. I would gladly take three more one worlds over one of this kind of season where at least one world has a consistent narrative it's like girls rock guys are stupid um kim's the best everyone loves kim like there is a cogent narrative like it feels like you know what's gonna happen you feel like there's threats to kim but she's outsmarting them like it feels like you know what people want and think you don't have that in this season you don't have that in ghost island it doesn't have the unpredictability which that's kind of a bad thing for it, but also a good thing. Like you kind of know going into each episode, okay, this is what the lay of the game looks like now. Like, Mm -hmm. but here's what's going to happen. Is Troy Zan going to win another immunity? 
Um, are people is he gonna idol at Kim? Blah blah blah. Yeah, are yeah. people going to catch on to Kim? Like, are Alicia, Kat, or Christina gonna be too much for Kim, Chelsea, and Sabrina? It's stuff like that. Um, whereas this one, it was always like, like right after Julia goes, you get a six, but it's a six of not the people who just voted together, and it's like so topsy turvy from episode to episode that it's mm-hmm. hard to follow. And yeah, I think that's the problem, right? Is I do think that. I don't know. I think a great example of modern Survivor is Millennials, where you get clear divisions, like mm-hmm. different groups vote together, all kinds of stuff like that. But at the end of the day, the, the narrative is really, really clear, and you kind of get who's with who because they do pairs, they do trios. They show if if a if a group disbands, they explain why, <laughs> not just believe, like new group. I believe they're called trust clusters. Yeah, sorry, trust clusters. If a new trust cluster forms, they explain why. They yeah. give reasons why. Uh, it feels like there's emotional stakes because you get why people like each other. I never once in this season understood why anybody liked anybody other than Rick and David liked each other because they were funny. The only right. dynamic I felt like that, they clearly defined why the two people liked each other. Um, right. Like Ron and Julie, since we're theoretically talking about Julie, Ron and Julie is a good example where they were together all of pre-merge. They come together about two episodes into the merge and are there together until they're not, and then Ron doesn't vote Julie to win. So it's stuff like that that just leaves your, like, scratching your head, like, what mm-hmm. What are the relationships? Like, why did Victoria not vote for Gavin? Like, I know why, because there's Twitter, but the season did not present an accurate yeah. depiction of that. I, okay, I guess we're going to talk about Gavin right now, so I actually want to do that. Yeah, let's slide over to Gavin. Yeah. So I don't think we have much to say about Gavin, other than, why didn't they edit him differently? Like, why did they just show him as a dick, which is apparently what they thought? Like, they apparently did not like him very much. Why did they give him a positive edit? That'd be the easiest way to give, like, make people stomach a Chris win, right? Like, just show him as a backstabbing weasel guy. I think it's tricky because overall, Gavin's story trends positive. Like, Gavin has that family moment, and at that family moment, we're hearing how he always talks about his wife. So, and I don't know how much Gavin is actually doing that's, like, able to be portrayed negatively. I think it's a tr- it's a really tricky thing to do. Ooh. Okay, this just occurred to me. They were clearly doing that. Okay, you know what? I, I'm, I might walk this back a little bit because I think they were trying to do that, but I think they were also trying to show Gavin as little as possible boring. Um, so, what was... So, coming out of the premiere... Eric and Gavin were, like, established as, like, a super tight duo. Um, and basically, there was only, like, two or three other ones that were established. Uh, Lauren and, Lauren and uh, Kelly and David and Rick. But Gavin and um, Eric is, like, a, a pretty important one. It pops back up at that fake Rocks episode. Where Gavin's like, you know what? I think Eric would go to Rocks for me. We got each other's back no matter what. And then the next... And t- within two episodes of that, he is voting out Eric. Um... Maybe the reason they developed that duo was to show him as backstabby, and then the mm-hmm. same thing with Kelly. Like maybe that's why, and that, that's why they kept showing him as kind of entitled, being like, "Oh, I thought this is a democracy." Maybe they were trying to give him a narrative of why he would lose because he's like backstabs people and it hurts them, uh, while also being like entitled. But they did that like while also trying to minimize giving him content because he's yeah, poor. and I it didn't work because. It felt like every time they tried to make him negative, it was too subtle. Like, yeah. on my chart, there's not a point where he skews negative. He is, I think, positive in some episodes where he has those negative moments. Like, when Absolutely. War Dog 
calls him out for wanting to be in the majority. Like I still have him positive for that because he gets out War Dog then. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think you could have done a very good mixed edit, sort of like an Aurora, where yeah. Aurora later had good points and bad points, but I also get it because why devote so much attention to Gavin? It's Gavin. Like we had Nick for a whole season. We get it. He's probably well, like, is pretty boring day to day. Like Nick's a hundred times more interesting than Gavin. Like yeah, I think that's another thing, right? Is Nick has seven hundred times more charisma than Gavin does. Like, poor guy, but he's not exactly TV gold. And I definitely get why they would not show him too much. And they probably it probably explains why they just like. His his story, if you really look at it, is like even early on, we're like, why do they just keep telling us he's a super fan like all the time? It's because that he had one good moment at the end when Chris is like, "Hey, Gavin, what's your dream?" And he's like, "To play Survivor." That was that was the only good thing that Gavin had the entire season. That made me like kind of tear up a little bit, um, where he's just sitting there like with the the reed in his mouth or whatever, and he's like like has this light cross chilling out, and he's like, "You know, my dream is to play Survivor, and now it's my wife or something." boring stuff like that but that was that was the only good thing i gavin produced i think in this season um yeah so i i get it honestly they probably did the best that they were willing to do here yeah maybe a little bit more negativity i think it's a weird runner-up at it like because not only is he the runner-up but people are like yeah he deserved to win over Chris, and it's like uh it's just Sorry. Yeah, they clearly botched it, right? Like they <laughs> clearly botched. If people are thinking that Gavin deserved to win, um, and I think it it's just a hard situation because you either have this very boring, sorry, Gavin, very boring person who did play the the real game quotation marks for thirty nine days, versus someone who made a big showing in the last few days. Like Julie doesn't get any votes, so you can't like have her be the second place person, obviously. And I think it just left him in a hard spot. Sort of like Gabon. Although I think Gabon, you had a lot more room to work with with Bob and Susie as your final two. Yeah, but. I agree with that. I think it explains his early on high coverage. And then it also explains why he just shows up at like the mark randomly. Like they were clearly like, they, we have to show him, but uh, like they're begrudgingly doing it. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think they should do this again. I think if they ever get in this position again where they have to stall why like a really boring person lost i think they do have to just show even have other people talk about him right like you don't have to show him if it's like victoria getting a confessional being like gavin's driving me nuts Mm -hmm. right i feel like that would because that's something this season basically didn't have is second person visibility we basically had no one talking about other people right um i think that's maybe one of the bigger failings of this entire season is again we didn't know anything about what people thought about other people other than the returnees that was a huge failing of the season, and probably why this whole ending is all muddled. Mm. So, I, I know, that explains it. They're doing interesting things with the second place edit, though. Like, Gavin and then Mike before this. Like, it's not really typical mm-hmm. second place stuff. They kind of feel like winner contenders at points. And... Winner contenders, but not quite. Like, <laughs> uh, that's basically what it feels like with the second place. Yeah. So that brings us here to our winner, Chris. and. I think that's the most interesting thing about his edit is when he got voted out, the next episode was like a CPP five. I'm going to hunt and fish because you never know what's going to come up. Um, I don't know what's going to bring me back into the game. So I'm just going to make sure that everybody here, which when we saw it, we're like, oh, wow, this is really good. For-. 
come back. Like, we, we had Chris as our number one to come back for a while. Yeah, this is good for him to come back. Yes. But they did the most bizarre thing, which is not give him a confession on the first episode. Agreed. And it's like, they went to tribal council. I That's one of the biggest questions for me is, why did they do this? Like, yeah. You're already going to have trouble selling him as a winner because he's going to have 10 episodes where you can't show him in any way front and center. So why add one more episode to the pile? I mean, there are... Go ahead. You you go, you go. There are apparently clues. Like, in that premiere, the person he's talking to is Rick Devins. Um, After he's voted out, David's like, how am I going to... I'm not as good at doing fire as Chris. Mm -hmm. And stuff like that. But... And even I think in the premiere I rewatched it, when Reem's the like Reem's like like I think the episode takes a pretty Reem friendly approach. Like it's like, well Kelly had got her face bleeding. Why am I gonna blame for the challenge loss? Like I didn't do anything wrong. Um Chris at Tribal is the one who like consoles Reem. He's like, Reem, like I didn't think there was anything wrong with what you were doing. Like, <laughs> like uh, and he, it, there's like special focus there, which just it kind of shows that he isn't in on the Reem bullying. Which is pretty good, and then he gets attached to Keith, like Keith, my little brother. But I, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like it, it failed. Like I do think that Chris's winter edit is a failure. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I have many problems aside from that premiere. I mean, what are you gonna do? You can't. You go too much harder on Edge of Extinction, and then it becomes super obvious. Agreed. Yeah, um, I think you give him something in episode one, like anything. You give him a throwaway confessional. Yeah, I think we just immediately discounted Chris, like, in any way winning, attorney or not, because he didn't have that confessional. And given his archetype, like, that's not something that happens to them. And yeah, I think that's where it's a failing is that it then just throws off the entire season because no matter what content he gets from there, it's going to be soured by the premiere. And when he gets sent to Edge of Extinction, that makes it even harder to believe that he would come back from all that and win. Which even you, I guess you. I'm saying, why doesn't your winner conform to my edgic standards? But it, that's why so many people were tricked. Were tricked, I guess. I agree. I do think I just want to add that again. I think this is one of those in service of unpredictable, like in service of unpredictability instead of coherent storytelling moves that I think is a big reason this season's bad. Chris was in this in the game for what three episodes right the premiere the second episode the third episode and the finale yeah so that's four i guess um or is it three yeah yeah, so it's four um in that one of them he's invisible and then the other two he one of them he's i guess highly fairly highly visible right um Um, yeah i'm trying to look yeah in the other in the other two he's like three or above i guess visibility wise yeah he's fairly complex but for my for my chart, he has one confessional that episode, so it still wasn't like the biggest thing. Yeah, I I think they missed an opportunity here, I guess, to maybe tell a story that like you know, because okay, I guess this is my take. If Ali and Triple H came back and won in the end, people would be really happy with that. If Stephanie Johnson and Ghost Island came back and won, people would be really happy with that. Um, I think. I really do think that because they told their story from the start. They told them, told us why we should care about them, why they mattered. And then we were heartbroken when they left. When Chris left, it was whatever. I was like, I oh yeah, he, he made a dumb move. Yeah. Like, 
I guess they missed the missed to me they missed the opportunity to make him the shock pre-merge boot that like you know what I mean like every season there's the Alley, the Rourke, the yeah whoever right the one Malcolm right why wasn't Chris that and then you have it be like oh well so many people love Ali or Malcolm or whatever and they're like oh I just wish he could have won Chris could have been the embodiment of wish fulfillment of your favorite one who didn't get the chance who left pre-merge because of a swap or one bad move and you never get to see them again he could have been the embodiment of all those people and instead he's just he's the boring the alpha male on the tribe instead of something interesting yeah and this is another part where um second person visibility would have helped just reinforcing yeah chris he's strong he'll help us in challenges he's clearly not going anywhere and then say that in episode two as well and then in episode three it sort of turns on him it's like whoa he went before wendy and then Mm. yeah i think you could have the same yeah it's not it's not chris centric in any way like I get that you have David, Kelly, and Wardog all on that tribe, plus Rick. So, but, I mean, Chris is your winner. Like, Chris is your winner. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and, like, just think about how much better of a story it would be if, the like, honestly, like, if this is just Stephanie Johnson and the same thing happens and then she just comes back and wins and everyone's, like, so happy because it was edited as, like, look, there was nothing she could do and... Even if even if she did make a mistake or whatever, even if he does make a mistake, that's fine. If it's somebody that you love and they present as a rootable character that you enjoy, and then it's like, oh wow, they're the shock pre-merge boot, but also they're your winner. Like I think that would be so clever. And I just I personally despise that they chose to just your winner so unpredictable. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. To me, I wouldn't be surprised if Survivor Thirty Nine ends with somebody invisible, invisible, invi- like just in- straight invisibles, and then they just win, and it's like ah unpredictable like mm-hmm. I, it, it's really unpredictable who's gonna win if you just don't watch the show and then you like find out the name like that's fun unpredictable like, i don't know like why not draw rocks for who wins i don't know no they only do that for reward challenges yeah that's true that's true. <laughs> you know what i mean it's just like unpredictability isn't necessarily a good thing yeah and i don't know i hope that this season teaches them that because i don't n- most people hate surprise parties that's all i would say <laughs> Hmm. uh is chris the worst winner ever no um, i guess you'd have to say that he definitely played the worst winning game right like hard not to be there i think um he literally got voted out like he got voted out it's pretty hard to defend that um it's not even like he knew that when he got voted out that he would come back like, there's a difference between like Ozzy choosing to get voted out in uh, South Pacific. Yeah, he thinks he has like that. You can grant some game strategy credit. Like Chris just got voted out and thought his survivor dream was over. <laughs> he made a mistake. Mm-hmm. He wasn't playing with house money. He wasn't doing anything like that. He was just a regular survivor player who got voted out pre-merge. I feel like worst winning game, absolutely. But I don't think he's the worst survivor player to win. Yeah, I think that's where I lay. It's like. I think there are scenarios where Chris doesn't get voted out at episode three. Um, I think it was just the way the social politics worked. Wardog built the plan and then he went home. But yeah, it's hard to say you got voted out episode three as an alpha male before Wendy. Like, you made some mistakes. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, this is like, honestly, it's similar to like Garrett Adelstein, right? Where he gets voted out before Jatia. Mm-hmm. Right, it's 
Like, this isn't his natural spot to go. Like, that's pretty bad. That said, it was a pretty harmless mistake that he made, I think. Yeah, um, I think there's people doing what he did all the time, and it just it works out, because that's what you do. You share information with people, and sometimes they share it with other people, and sometimes they don't, because they trust you. And, and I think maybe... the kicker is that I think Wardog was intentionally trying to turning players. So I almost think that if this tribe is just natural, and they're all just strangers... I feel like that move doesn't even result in him leaving. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It's hard to really blame him that much. And I think that... I think he's definitely a better player than, like, Bob and a lot of them. Like, yeah, he clearly knows the show very well. He's smart. I think after he comes back, he should... I think he does a lot... Like, he has so many tools at his advantage coming back in. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, he has way more information than everybody else. He knows what the jury thinks. Part of the hardest... One of the hardest parts about Survivor is 100% knowing who the jury threats are. That's a really, really hard thing to do. Chris, mm. Chris just knows 100%. He's yeah. like a perfect read on the jury. So he knows exactly what he needs to do. He comes back with an idol. comes back with all kinds of dirt on people. He really comes in with like a with a royal flush. And like it's not that impressive that he's able to go all in and win. Uh, that said, he does do a lot with what he has. Like He has right. a lot, but he also uses it very, very, very effectively. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So winning games, he's probably still last. But... Like, he puts Bob a run for his money, but winning players, I'd actually have him shockingly high, I think. Yeah. I mean, maybe not not past the halfway point. Yeah. But he's above people. I think if your simulation is that you put him in 100 games and see how many times they win, like, I think Chris wins more than a good handful of people. Yeah, like, absolutely more than Fabio, absolutely Bob than a number of them. Like, yeah, I don't know. He's clearly a pretty decent player, and you know what? Sometimes you make a mistake and you pay for it, and I don't think that makes him a horrible player. Yeah. So I guess we're just going to go quick here and go through the checklist just of the stories. The checklist? Where, I know that yeah, story. The checklist. Um, so we're going to start here with passengers and pilots. What an interesting departure this story took, right? Yeah. I think it was sort of Rick's story. Like, he sort of, well, David dreamed it up, but like, him and Rick sort of held it and it made for a really good metaphor for that merge that sort of didn't matter is Mm -hmm. people are passengers people are pilots and that's how people get voted out is you're too much of a pilot you're too much of a passenger it's bad or good for your game so and instead being a lone wolf is the correct answer is basically it right yeah rick let himself trust somebody too much and that was basic he should have just piloted his own ship Right, he shouldn't have been worried about what was happening with Chris. Mm-hmm. So I like I think we successfully nailed it. It just ended up not actually being the winner story, which yeah. shocked me. That's like I think the biggest shock for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's probably good there. Next we have the mothers, women, and generals one. Absolutely, what like maybe the biggest theme here, um, other than the next one, but it was so in your face in this entire episode. I thought. And unfortunately, it was really negative to the women, which made me really sad. Yeah, but it it applied. And I think we talked about last episode that it it always tends to apply, but it doesn't mean for the that it's the winner. But you saw it was important to Julie. It was why Victoria and Lauren kind of went home. It was important to Reem even as mm. she didn't win the Edge of Extinction thing. But yeah, I think it's it's likely to always be a little bit important in seasons, but I think it was sort of front and center here with the yeah. 
women we had at the end. And I agree. And I think that we have it just kind of general here, but it really was how being a mother can make the game more difficult, how uh, gender roles can cause a imbalance in the way the game is played. I do think that the editors are trying to tell these kind of like kid stories there. Um, while still like sliding it in the um, like sliding it in so the casual audience doesn't see it as like a raving pro female theme. Um, right. We see why where they fail. We see all that kind of stuff. So it is that. But I do think that this season was intentionally trying to discuss this in a nuanced way. I think for the most part, it did pretty well with it. Um, the finale, notwithstanding, the finale was pretty ugly, just like David vs. Goliath. Mm-hmm. But whatever. And next up, I guess we have our Edge of Extinction theme here. That was the idea of a checklist. Aubrey introduces it early on. That people have a list of things that they want to do before they leave Survivor. Um, in her case, it was find an idol. And I think that's a big reason why we had a lot of people just kind of like check their check the bucket off. Um, and like have these stories tied up in a nice, neat, neat bow. Um, and I think the interesting thing here is that this ended up being the Edge of Extinction story but specifically on Chris. Chris all season is talking about how he didn't get his chance to play his perfect game. He wanted to do that, um, and he missed his opportunity. He he didn't get to fill off his checklist because he wanted to do this perfect game, and he did in the second when he came back. And I, that, that's ultimately his winner story, right? Is right. sort of somebody who didn't get to do everything they wanted to do, looked up at the stars, and got another chance and did do everything they wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, it's just absolutely... Chris's winner story and we the tricky thing about this was always that it could just be like wrapping up the story like it happened with people too where like Kelly wrapped up her story this way talking about her experience I think Eric did the same but with Chris it was truly I didn't get to play my perfect game and now I have a second chance he reinforces that in the episode before the finale and then it happens and so it yep. was definitely his story and we caught on to it and I think that's probably good enough and yeah, and I think specifically the idea that it's okay to not play a perfect game. Mm-hmm. That you can still deserve the accolades and not play a perfect game is basically right. what it is. Be accepting of your mistakes, effectively. Next up we got Kumbaya Survivor versus Play Survivor, the highs and lows. How it's easier to play from the bottom than it is from the top. Cool theme, honestly, looking how it all played out. We were right. This is somebody who just didn't at any point have any agency over how the votes win, wins the game and is the second likely to win, right? Like, you could argue that Rick Devins is effectively second place. Um, yeah, because and, people like Gavin and Julie who had times in the majority didn't get very many votes, weren't rewarded for Yes, it. and instead, the underdog, the person who was always on the bottom, uh, doing the Aubrey Brocco style of play. End of right. Uh, I think that's very important to note, and it was absolutely the story of this season. So... I guess beyond that, like other than like other than that, like we have Rick and, Rick and uh, Chris very obviously fulfilling this. The other four fulfilling it, but to the uh, antithesis, they yeah. are people who played from the top and they struggled. I think there's no secret that um, the season was kind of trying to say that it's harder to play from the top than it is from the bottom, uh, and having control is a bad thing, basically. Yeah, which is a weird story. Doesn't always work for every season, but for this is this season, it was key. So Absolutely. Next up, another one that was paramount to the story of this episode, to this season as a whole, was the story that Victoria introduced of 
being able to separate the game as strategy from personal relationships. All season, I was predicting in the finale we were going to see a epic blindside. Like, no tomorrow. Um, we did. This season, ultimately, the climax of this season is Chris deciding he's going to turn on his friend and make a straight-up backstab on Rick Devins, who just saved him the round before. The biggest move of the game, the reason Julie lost the game, um, arguably the reason Gavin lost the game, this is like probably the number one way-to-play-survivor thing of this season, right? Mm-hmm. This is the secrets equivalent. Yeah. I mean, even though Victoria got sixth, it was endorsed by her, and we saw that Victoria was a threat because of it. So yes. it's something the season wanted to endorse as a whole, is that you got to separate. And once again, it played poorly on Julie. Like, Julie tried to claim that her emotions helped her throughout the game, and the jury had absolutely none of that, mm-hmm. and ended up giving her no votes. So, Yep, 100%. Like, you see the... You see- where emotion goes wrong, you see where emotion goes right. Everything works really well, and ultimately we get a winner who basically very rarely emotional. Uh, like I think that's something that they were very clearly kind of afraid to show was Chris being too emotional, or he's very internally emotional. Yes, like, yeah, he very introspective, but never emotions didn't factor into his relationships and how they influenced the game there. And even when you think about it. Um, what like one of his most uh, important confessionals is that one right after he gets voted out. He's like, "Listen, um, I don't know how this is gonna affect things, but for my game, I'm gonna make sure that I feed these people." Right? Yeah. It, it 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 was put in game terms. It wasn't like I care about these people. That's something that Izzy or Joe or something would get. Is you know, I care about these people. I'm just here to have a good time and make sure that everybody's fed, all that kind of good stuff. No, Chris says, I, I think that this is going to help my game. Mm-hmm. Important to know. Next up, we got unpredictability, always on the, quote, edge of being voted out. Yeah, I think we totally missed with this one. This was yeah. a very predictable season. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, your third boot won the game. Like, what more do you need to say? <laughs> exactly. Um, and with the way... The final few votes played out where there were so many idols in play. I mean, you had to have this. It's like, things can happen, and it's not going to be straight votes, at least for this season. So unpredictability is a thing of this game to focus on. Absolutely. And I do think that in this season specifically, the arc that this kind of theme was taking was... It's it's very similar to the um, highs and lows Survivor one, where it's like, sometimes it's a good thing to get votes, I think is something that the season was trying to tell us, is you should feel more accomplished when you are the decoy boot and you evade it than when you just don't get votes, because that means that you probably didn't matter. Um, I do think that this was shade on Gavin for getting zero votes or whatever throughout the entire season, whereas, I mean, the winner got the majority of the votes multiple times, right? Uh, He left, and then he idled out the majority of the votes at the final five. Yep. Um, and I think he got two votes. Like, he got a lot of votes. Winner got a lot of votes. Rick Devins got a lot of votes. Yeah. Um, I do think that this was trying very hard. This theme was there to de-emphasize getting votes as a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And, like, that it's okay. Like, if you're always on the edge of being voted out, it means you're work hard, working hard. It means you're doing things. It means you're in the limelight. And that's a good thing. Yeah. So, 
I guess that's important to note. Uh, the only other one we have on here is new player versus old player, which was the probably the biggest theme of the pre-merge. And yeah. this is my hot take. This theme being so front and center is one of the reasons that this is a bad season of Survivor. We They ultimately didn't matter that much to the end game. They didn't matter. Basically, if they just made it like the they're just not as good as they used to be or something like that, made it as simple as that, and then just told the story naturally, this would be a way better season because I think a lot of the failings here are that the returnees had to suck up way too much airtime or people talking about the returnees took up too much airtime to the point where we didn't know the dynamics very well, which meant that nothing really worked that well, which thank God that's the season where the survivor game basically didn't matter. But that is kind of a huge problem is that this season was so much about the returning players that everybody else just didn't get their fair shot. And it was just about like, Oh, woe is me. How hard it is to be a returning player. When I feel like they could have just sidetracked that. It wasn't an interesting. It wasn't. Yeah, a good I think, I think it's unfortunate that this is the first season with returnees where the returnees didn't do well because it meant that they had to justify that in some way. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's so hard to be a returnee, so that's why they didn't do well this time. Um, and it and it did distract from other stories in a format that already has so much going on that you need yep. to be focused on what's actually going to matter. And it didn't leave space for that. We had to instead get why these people weren't the greatest at the game which is just unfortunate like this is why mixed casts are bad because inherently they're going to talk a lot about the returnee what they feel about the returnee uh malcolm Mm -hmm. freeberg had a really good tweet where he was like wow i sure like uh david and uh kelly and these other people who are represented by their feelings on david and kelly (laughs) that's how this pre-merge was yeah and yeah so that's the season that's the story is i think we actually tracked the stories that they were trying to tell very well um yeah and i think remembering the first few episodes we were kind of worried because it didn't seem like there was a lot going on but yeah it did seem and then we didn't really add many right like for the most part the ones that we got like pretty early on were the stories of the season they paid off in the finale i think every one of these paid off in the finale in meaningful ways Mm -hmm. that just shows you i guess how much foresight goes into this thing right like they do foreshadow so much. There is so much information in every little frame on Survivor. Because, again, they have, what, 24 times 39 hours is... 24 times 39? A lot of hours. 936 hours of content. We get to see 14 at most. Um, so, like, you know that every little shot that they show has some meaning. And I think that's what makes what we do so fun. Um it is deliberate. There are intentional themes here because even if it's not intentional, on the back of your mind, you're trying to tell stories. Jeff Probst specifically cares a lot about storytelling, and I think that's why the show is so good. Do I think that this missed the mark a little bit? Yes. Am I still glad that they have a commitment to tell stories that are nuanced and complex throughout the entire season? Yes, absolutely. Because when I watch other shows, I don't know about the listeners, but when I watch like The Challenge or Big Brother, that's the number one thing I miss is that okay, I get the drama, I get these big moments, but if the moments don't tie together, do they matter? Um, what's the significance beyond these moments? That's what I care about. And that's mm-hmm. something that Survivor always does really well, and the other reality shows just don't. Yeah, yeah. the challenge is the one I think of. I've not watched it, but like, I get the feeling that it's very um, like episode to episode as opposed to full stories. Yes. And of course, Big Brother, with it being live, doesn't have the 
liberty to make overarching stories. They can try, but there's nothing saying this person won't get voted out next week. Yeah. So, which is, I think, why I love Survivor is they're genuinely, despite there being like hundreds of competitive reality shows, there really is only one like Survivor where it's pre-taped. Um, they have a commitment to telling a story. It, there, there isn't any like there is groups and things that form that matter and are important. So you do have to show why people are close. I really don't think there is anything like this show. And I think that is the magic. And I wish Survivor would realize that is the magic. It's almost like, and this is sort of a oxymoron, but like a improv, improv scripted television. Like, you know, there is a end state that it has to reach. You have a group of actors that have to get there and it's just them getting there. It's like, if you took like Game of Thrones and had all the actors there, but they just did what they felt was right. And the reason Survivor works is because there's not enough, not enough leeway that you can't just have people going every which direction. They're constrained enough that it always comes to a good end ish. Yeah. Like, whereas like if you had like a scripted show, it's like you could go back to playground style where it's like, well, I have a shield that protects me from anything. So it just doesn't work. No, I absolutely agree. And, to just add to your point there, I think the thing that's magical about it is that frequently you see things that, like, if you're writing, you would never think about. I'm a writer. Uh, we've seen, like, writers on the show, like Mike White even, and things that happen to them that just you don't, like, would never happen, that you would never actually think of. Sometimes reality is poetic, right? Like, people always say that yeah. the best stories come from history, best stories come from your real life. Um it really is. There's nothing like it. And with such a devoted commitment to stories is why these shows work. Um, so I really think that Jeff Probst is somebody who realizes that. He views this as like a documentary uh, where you take all the inf- – you, you film hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And then you sit there for hours and hours and hours and think, okay, where does um, – where's the what's the storyline? What's the track for these characters? Because that's what documentary filmmakers do, right? Like it's – they film a bunch, they collect a bunch of data, and then they create a story from it. And mm-hmm. that's, I think, the beauty of Survivor. It's shot more like a documentary. Than it, and like you said, like a like a if you just got eighteen character like actors and got them to act how their character would, mm-hmm. and then edited the highlights, that would be really really good television. Um, so yeah, that's thank you, Survivor. You're great. Um, that said, this was a big departure for Edgic as a whole. What do you think that this finale changes? For the future. Well, obviously, Edgic is dead. Yeah. Long live Edgic's memory. But, I mean, I don't think we're going to see Edge of Extinction back anytime soon. So, it's hard to say what will last from this. I think it really depends on what they take away from people's reactions to Chris winning. And whether they can make winners more unpredictable. Of course, the winners have to get there in unpredictable ways. Which is something, even with like our Ben's and Mike's, it still makes sense for them to get to the end. So they're not going to under edit a Ben or a Mike or people like Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's looking at maybe if we ever get another like under the radar winner or someone, they might take more liberties and not always having to show them or stuff like that. Yeah. I would say that I, I'm going to do this in tandem with ghost Island. Actually. I think, one thing that we can learn is, or I guess mean for the future of Edgic, is a winner can be more or less visible than is p- 
pattern as long as their story matches. Uh, Chris's story is very coherent and clear. It starts in the ep- in episode two, which is a little bad. But other than that, it's introduced what he wants. He's somebody who's going to reach out to people. He reaches out to Keith when Keith is in danger, and he tries to save Keith. That gets him in a little bit of trouble, but he's, he's successful enough to recover. We see some game savvy there. Next episode, he still wants to flip against Kelly. Kelly is edited really negatively. Maybe part of the decision to edit Kelly so negatively was because she's countered to Chris. That's very possible. It's probably more likely that that's Devin's, but I do think that it's no coincidence that um, Kelly is kind of an antagonist there, and that's who Chris rallies against. You get some credit there, right? Chris is the one who does successfully get um, some momentum against her, and then he 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 fails. And then his, his like he talks about how he's gonna feed people, and then you see him feeding people constantly. You see people talking about how much they like him. You see people's opinions about him change. Reem goes from disliking him to liking him yeah. after he brings them food. Uh, you see Rick and him reunite. You see uh, later on him. He continues to collect food. He talks about how he missed out doing his perfect game. He did have a story. He did have a very clear story. He had a bigger story, honestly, than most of the people in the cast. That's something to pay attention to, and that's like that's always like my trick with like international survival is they have different editing methods, I suppose. But you basically just track who has a story because I still don't think there's a winner that doesn't have a good story or at least a coherent story. Um, so I guess that's the biggest thing is just being hyperactive. Of even if this is a departure, is it a story that makes sense? And, I think that's. And, oh wait, did you have something? To no, no, you go, you go. Okay, I was gonna say I think that's really good to counterpoint and look at like big edits and maybe think this is a big edit it's getting a lot of visibility but is it telling a story and is that story a winner's story yes i think with people like war dog and lauren and kelly and even rick to some extent is it they're in the forefront but are they getting pieces that make sense for their winner story and yeah like are they getting pieces at all like with lauren not getting a lot of content in the pre in the Manu tribal councils or war dog sort of starting as this assumed big threat who is a big strategic presence. It's really looking and seeing does it make sense? Yep. Can't, basically, it's like is the will this play in a winter montage? Basically, like most of Lauren's yeah. content, you could not make a winter montage of. Most of War Dog's content, you could not make a winter montage of. That's, I think, the ultimate failing is that, I don't know, there's, you gotta yeah. be able to think, like, is this a story that makes sense? Like, if this is the story of how Wardog outsmarted everybody the whole time, is this really how it would be shown? Mm-hmm. Like, w- would it just be in recaps? Like, think about the things that matter as a rule. Like, winners tend to get recap focus. And I think you throw that kind of stuff out the window and you just think about, does their story make sense? And the, everything else is in service of that. Like, the charts, the... Um, all that is just in service of the idea. Does their story make sense for them to one day win? Be someone that you're in, okay with winning, right? And I think even we didn't see a winner montage of Chris, but you could very easily see him getting voted out. I wanted to play the perfect game. Um, the montage is in your brain. Yeah, the montage is in your brain. Perfect. Like that's the most important thing because that's most people have selective memory. That's just the fact. Most people who watch the show watch it once. And remember the big moment. That's it. They they probably remember Chris saying he wants to play the perfect game. Why? Because he said it four times. They're gonna um, remember a stingray on a spear. Yes. They're not gonna remember that Chris wasn't in episode one. 
Yeah. They're not going to remember that Chris didn't get exceptional recap focus. Mm-hmm. They will remember that he's a guy who wanted to play the perfect game, killed the stingrays, was good in the challenges, and is smarter than he seems. That he was against Kelly Wentworth, maybe. Yeah. So I guess that's the thing is, um, the, I don't think this season actually changes that much, personally. Yeah. I think a mix of it being a departure from the typical format, plus just in general, like, yeah, Chris is unconventional, but it still makes some sense. The mm-hmm. losers still made sense as losers. I think, yeah, not too much actually changes. I think we just have to respond to what the season is giving us, where the stories are, and go from there. Exactly. Uh, and I guess that's our show, yeah? Yep. I think we're going to do some content. Uh, we're going to try and think of some content to do over the break here. Uh, just because, you know, like, we don't want just the thing to die during the summer. Um, I guess it's like six months or something. So if you have an idea, like something you want us to cover or something, hit us up on our email. Uh, it's at thewinneredit at gmail.com or spam it in the Reddit comments, whatever. Um, you know, there, there's some rumors on the internet about uh, some things that might be coming up in the future. Maybe we'll talk about that. Who knows? Yep. Um, and I mean, there's always an international survivor. Uh, uh, South Africa just started. If I don't know if we're co- we'll cover it, but definitely watch it. Season five or six or whatever the last one was, was the best season of Survivor ever, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, even if mo- modern Survivor is getting bad, uh, for a while I was under the impression, and maybe you are too, list- hypothetical listener, that you're getting sick of Survivor. That, like, I think we are in the Dark Ages. Sometimes these international Survivors really surprise you and like reinvigorate, for me, like, oh wow, I know, I love this show. Ghost Island was just bad. Like, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll have I, when the next when the next season starts, we'll definitely have new episodes uh, on our Survivor, our Edgic. Uh, you know, like we like having like discussions and stuff. I love I love when you guys comment. Um, I I look forward to it, and because I actually don't read our Edgic very much, just because I'm hyper terrified of spoilers. Uh, and I don't want to point anyone out, but this season had some spoilers speculation that looking back, I can be like. Oh, maybe some of these comments were a little influenced by that. Like it was nothing major, but yeah, some of the stuff felt like it could have leaned that way. But absolutely, and that's why in general I don't like. I really don't read our edgic. I read basically the comments on our thing, and then I look at the the charts basically. Right. Um, and even then, some seasons I don't. It depends on Unspoiled has a section where they talk about the uh, what spoilers are out there. They actually yeah. did not say that the uh, second edge of Extinction Returning was spoiled, but apparently they were. Yeah, um, yeah that was one uh, thing I wasn't really like concerned about. Because, like, yeah, apparently Chris showed a picture on Instagram with the merge buff, which he could not have had if he did not return. So, But I never yeah. really felt like... It felt like people were arguing for many other people as is in Chris to come back. Or if they yeah. were arguing for Chris, it made sense. Yeah, so. it seems like this season, like was spoiled but no one caught on to it so i think that was actually really great um i hope more seasons are like that um this is actually the season i read our edge because apparently there was no spoiler so i was like you know i was reading a lot so um and i think it was a good season yeah. for discussion because yeah people were going all different ways you had lauren fans you had war dog fans you had yeah. reem fans and unspoiled and, uh, was a little bit of a mess this season. so i was avoiding it i was avoiding it a bit <laughs> there was a lot of uh, internal strife but I tried to keep up where I could. So yeah, I love when you guys comment on it here because I, I, oh no, I feel like our listeners are really, really smart, and I love. I, honestly, I'm often flabbergasted at just how uh, well 
they're able to track things and agree with us or disagree with us. Whatever. I love that. Um, so yeah, that's our season for now. Um, peace out. Yeah. Have a good summer if we don't see you. So bye. Later, Gator. <laughs>